0: Podcast is a proud member of the Cyphercast Network. Discover more at Cyphercast.net and follow us on Twitter at Cyphercast.net.
1: Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. I'm Dave and we will be your guides along the Path of Suns. Today we sing one spell. With All You Are Is Mine To Use, we'll discuss creatures from the Invisible Sun. Join us on the Path of Suns, and we may discover a secret or two. When we cast All You Are Is Mine To Use, we discuss the books and other releases for our Invisible Sun games. This time we will discuss the creatures one might find under the invisible sun. Of course, this is a bit of a misnomer because there is no physical space or landscape that we would call the invisible sun. So you don't visit the invisible sun like you, the, you might visit the red sun or the indigo sun or anything along those lines. Instead, it is a source of magic uh, for all of the actuality. Which means the creatures described in the section of Teratology are uh, different in a way. They are not from a particular geographic location. These are creatures that could be found anywhere with a particular emphasis on creatures that can travel between suns. Really?
0: Yes. That's that's interesting. Um, Because one of the themes of the invisible sun is protection.
1: It, yes, protection and just magic generally. Sure. And so there are also creatures that seem to have – that seem to be in this section because they just have a special relationship towards magic. Um, The protection theme didn't come out as much in these creatures as I had expected. uh, But certainly travel and the sort of manipulation of transitions between suns comes out quite a bit in the examples that we will see. Uh, And then some are just a miscellaneous category of creatures that can be anywhere. Yeah. Um, the travel is interesting because
0: that's that's a green sun sort of aspect. So I'm kind of surprised to see it show up here.
1: Yeah, I think they might distinguish movement from travel.
0: Uh, yeah, but green is where you go to actually travel the path.
1: Uh, it is on the path. Uh, so yeah, it's it's you can play up these themes as much as you want, and then there is overlap between some of the themes. I don't want to play
0: up the travel theme here at all. Can we just not record this episode? I mean, we could. Okay.
1: Okay. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. (laughs) I'm just going to keep talking. Okay. (laughs) You can stay if you want. You'd be afraid of what I'll say without you. So I bet you'll stick around. I got nothing better to do. (laughs) This section of Teratology is also lengthy. Uh, There are a lot of creatures. And as usual, we're only going to pick a few of them that we thought were particularly interesting. And for some reason, they are front loaded alphabetically. Weird. But we will see. Um, Also following our new format, uh, after discussing the creature and kind of what makes it interesting, we'll provide a hook for each of these creatures. Some of the hooks are more specific than others. uh, But just give an example of how you might use these creatures in your own stories.
0: Scott, I've been looking at the notes. Are you sure that we should talk about 20? creatures we should cut (laughs) it down a little
1: well this is a special um we've just finished 125 last episode so in celebration of 125 we have scheduled this recording to go on for seven hours um
0: Um, yeah okay uh i will be here
1: (laughs) uh yeah that or we will uh bail after half an hour as usual we'll see how it goes
0: oh could you just use this snippet uh when you edit this Oh,
1: <laughs> just repeat it over and over again.
0: Yeah. Whenever you need a, like a reaction from me, just put that in.
1: I I, I think I may do that, especially in hours four and five. Perfect. <laughs> okay. So the first creature I want to discuss is the Badulet. Uh, this is a creature that carries a portion of the world's burdens on its back. So I kind of envision this little goblin running around with the equivalent of a big sack on its back. Except the sack isn't full of of uh, stolen goods or uh, Christmas presents. It's instead full of the terrible things that are burdening the world. Everyone around the badulet feels anxious and depressed uh, because they these burdens are contagious in a way. Uh, And it it was just sort of I I like this creature that these creatures that have the sort of strong theme. Uh, that aren't necessarily just uh, things that you could attack with the, with the flail we talked about last uh, episode and destroy them uh, almost instantaneously. These are creatures that give you some sort of, of thematic uh, sense uh, of what, what emotion that they are connected to. In this case, it's, a, it's a, a, the kind of emotional feeling of being burdened um, and of carrying burdens for others.
0: Would destroying this creature be a bad thing? Would
1: that unleash the burdens it's carrying upon the world? I would probably play it that way. That the burdens that are not carried fall back onto the world itself. Now, what that means will depend upon the nature of the burden. And the hook I had, it plays along this theme that and This is pretty vague, but if the party finds that there's a problem in the world, there's something that's taxing or burdening the world, uh, they want to solve it, but they can't solve it before they locate the badgelet who's actually carrying that problem around. Uh, alternatively, one might characterize that the, whatever it is the badgelet's carrying as having a sympathetic connection to the larger problem. Mm-hmm. So even if the problem is, is vague, if it is um, – uh, hypothetical is not the word I'm looking for, but um, e- ephemeral, and therefore doesn't really have an object that's carried in a bag. The object carried in the bag might have a sympathetic connection to this broader problem. Uh, so you have to find the badgelet who's carrying that object connected to the broad problem, get that object from the badgelet, And since they are, their entire being is carrying these burdens, Convincing them to give up some of that burden might be problematic because this is them giving up what they do. Once you can do that, then you can manipulate this object in a way that resolves the burden of the world. Hmm. Just something to play with. Uh, The second creature I want to talk about is a little more traditional. Uh, It is a it's called the bracken. A huh. Bracken is a humanoid with a swarm of rats for an upper body. Mm.
0: Mm. Oh, it sounds <laughs> like a centaur. Oh, I know. That's the
1: opposite. Um, it's kind of like the opposite of a centaur, yes, except the, the front is, rather than a person, it is a swarm of things. Uh, while we know humans like swarms of things by the wisdom of Futurama, this can be a very inconvenient swarm.
0: This is just the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles villain, the Rat King, but made really creepy.
1: Yeah, well, that's a, a Rat King is a reference to a bundle of rats that are all sort of mushed together. Ugh, so a swarm oh, of tails rats, tails are like
0: tangled together. Ugh, it's yeah. awful. Yep.
1: Yeah, so you could absolutely turn this this swarm into a Rat King in and of itself, um, and it has you know biting attacks and swarming sorts of attacks. But what distinguishes it? from other sorts of, of much simpler creatures is that if you target the bracken with a spell, spells will only affect an individual rat unless the spell is very clearly a an area of effect spell. Cool. So if you have a spell that says it manipulates the mind of a creature, it's going to affect a rat. It won't <laughs> affect the bracken.
0: And then the swarm kicks that rat out. Yes, yeah, when I was initially reading this, I was thinking, oh, it expels the spell effect. But no, they, they're they kicking out the rat.
1: Okay. Yes. So once you have injured or manipulated through the spell, this individual rat, I can imagine it almost being forcibly expelled, like shot out of the bracken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, okay, what do you got next? <laughs> um, I, I read this mostly in a strategic uh, game sort of way, metagaming sort of way. Yep and thought of it as this is if you've got a party that is extremely well equipped to handle individual creatures with their spells, this throws a twist where those individual targeting spells won't work as well, that they really need these area of effect sorts of spells. Uh, but that's maybe unsatisfyingly gamey for uh, some groups that are much more into the narrative side. So my hook for the narrative side is that maybe there's a Visley who was lost exploring a hate cyst. Because this reminded me a lot of the sort of creature I'd expect to find inside of a hate cyst. Yeah. So a lost Visley inside a hate cyst merged with a rat king that was inside the hate cyst itself. And so it could be a unique entity or a sort of mutated uh, Visley from their exposure to the hate cyst. Uh, And then that just becomes the sort of uh, encounter you might have deep within one of these cysts. Seem to have that flavor to me, you know. Yeah, like it crow. has
0: that sort of body horror, like weird take on a you know monstrous entity that you would run into out there.
1: Right. It might work in some of the half worlds um, in, in the Green Sun, but it seemed to fit best in the Hate Cysts. I thought. Yeah, I like it. Okay, the third creature um, is the Capriol. This is a little weird. Um, It is not, it is almost the opposite of the bracken in the sense of its use in adventure planning and things like that. It's not a monster that you're going to find in the bottom of a hate cyst that's going to mitigate some of your party's uh, uh, offensive abilities and prevent them with a combat challenge. A capriole is a large rabbit-like animal used as a mount.
0: Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But it does have another interesting characteristic, other than just being a large rabbit, uses a mount, which is in and of itself kind of fun. Whoa! tell me more about this interesting characteristic. This rabbit-like creature can
0: tunnel between the suns. That's that's cool.
1: (laughs) So the burrows of Caprioles will uh, create paths between suns. And suddenly what is just an unusual mount becomes much more important if you're trying to travel between suns. And mm-hmm. maybe you have to do it in a way that avoids the traditional means of travel or that circumvents the currents um, that are we use for most forms of travel.
0: I like this idea. Uh,
1: or it could even be a surprise because people are traveling through a warren, a war, warren, maybe not even knowing it's a war, warren. It's just a you know series of caverns. And they go through a passage in one of these caverns and walk out through a different sun. So the interesting thing here
0: would be if they're traveling through these these burrows and they end up at a sun they've never been to before, they're going to go and talk to the warden.
1: I would think so. And the warden might not be so happy by the what could be perceived as an attempt to bypass the entry uh, requirements of any of the suns. Yeah, that, that could be one way to play it. So the hook for this I had was that the, maybe the party defeats a particular foe, but the foe had been riding a capriole, and they have to chase the capriole through the warrens to figure out where the foe came from. At which point they discover it's from one of maybe the sun they visited before, maybe it's a new sun, but they have to use they have to navigate the warrens to uh, figure out where the source of this attack came from.
0: Yeah. A network of tunnels that go between suns. That's, I like that a lot.
1: Mm -hmm. For those of you similarly uh, who saw Watership Down, the animated version as a child, traumatized as I was.
0: Yes, I'm right there with you.
1: (laughs) There is a lot you could draw from that in terms of rabbit personalities and rabbit characters that I think would scale well up into Caprioles. So you, you if you want to see Vicious Rabbit Combat, then check out the old animated version of uh, of Watership Downs. But allegedly it's a children's book and a children's movie, but it is vicious. so they they just made a new version of that, didn't they? I vaguely recall something like that, but I'm not sure.
0: sure. I think it's on Netflix.
1: When in doubt, we can guess it's on Netflix.
0: Yeah, I was gonna watch it with my kids, but then I said we're gonna watch the original one. So I just wanted (laughs) to see them cry.
1: (laughs) Mission accomplished, I'm sure. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that to my children. (laughs) I really. The book is also very, very good. Yeah, Um, it's it's. I think we would now call it a YA book. It's not a kids book. People think because it's about bunnies, it must be a kids book. It's not like nasty, nasty sort of horror. It has horrific elements, but I think no, it would it's, fit it's in not. contemporary YA.
0: Yeah, it's not horrific. It's just
1: emotionally, like, brutal. Yes. Uh, and, and like I said, the book and the original uh, animated show are, are, are good, but don't think because they're bunnies that it must be for younger kids. It's more for a YA sort of audience.
0: Yeah, I guess the thing I remember from it is lots of rabbits fighting and just a Feeling of impending dread and desperation,
1: right? And uh, socio-political commentary because the fighting rabbits are really representing different political structures.
0: Yeah, that that one went over my head.
1: <laughs> it probably would for a lot of younger audiences. Uh, okay, the next creature um, is the cornerwise. Ooh, I like this. Yeah, it's a fox-like being with an affinity to corners. My initial reaction was this sounds a lot like the Hounds of Tyndalos from uh, the kind of Lovecraft Cthulhu mythos. Uh, and you could maybe play with some of that, but you don't have to play with much of it. The Hounds of Tyndalos are a creature that um, travels from angle to angle. So they, they don't just like walk through a room. They mm-hmm. would move from corner to corner in a non-Euclidean sort of way. And they tend to hunt down anyone who is tainted by time travel um, or anything along those lines. And they're a horror creature. The, the the cornerwise is not necessarily that, though. You could play with some of that if you want to. The cornerwise is a sneaky little creature that likes corners and is invisible in corners. Uh, so it uses these corners to kind of obscure so that, uh, its presence, so people just ignore it. Uh, and then I it, I got the sense they were sort of like rumor mongers. Yeah. That they were trying to collect information. So the hook that I uh, developed for the corner wise is that a corner wise overhears something it should not have. Someone in power does not want the corner wise to know what the corner wise overheard. So the party has to either find the corner wise and make it forget what it heard. Or if you want to go a slightly different direction – Protect the corner wise who's the only source of information if they want to keep that information and use it for other purposes so if there's some secret that they want to protect they may have to protect the corner wise if there's a secret they want to destroy they may not have to kill the corner wise but they may have to make the corner wise forget what it heard from the corner
0: yeah um, another good use of a corner wise would be hey we need to you know we need to plant a bug in this building and Hey, a corner wise would be a perfect way to do it.
1: Like a corner wise mercenary.
0: Yeah. Then, I can see
1: them being in a, a guild or something. It'd be kind of interesting.
0: Yeah. So then I guess super secretive rooms would have no corners.
1: Right. <laughs> if you are particularly worried about the uh, ability of a corner wise to infiltrate your conversations, you have a whole bunch of round rooms. Yeah. There's a, this goes back to the Hounds of Tindalos. Uh, One of my favorite uh, kind of weird tales short stories is a China Mavell short story called, mm-hmm. I think it's Details. And at one point, there's someone who becomes so paranoid of Hounds of Tindalos that they basically, I think it's paper mache, <laughs> the corners in all of the rooms of their house into uh, uh, rounded edges and are just going crazy continually modifying their house to eliminate any particular edge. Um, but, as you might guess, without giving too much spoilers away, there are, there are angles that are difficult to impossible to remove. Fun. So that is not necessarily a <clears throat> perfect strategy.
0: Yeah, next time my uh, players run into a, a cult that wants to re- keep things secretive, uh, I think I'm going to introduce some round rooms for them.
1: <laughs> right and then tell the story this is even if you don't introduce a corner wise yeah you can use this to motivate creating these round rooms and then when someone asks wait why are all these rooms round then you could tell a story about how a corner wise caused all of these troubles so they're always looking out they're watching out for the corner wise. there may be no corner wise in your story but it provides flavor for the setting mm-hmm. because to uh to people within the setting this is just normal. This is how things work. Cornerwises simply exist, and you have to plan for them in the way that we would plan for mosquitoes or uh, electronic bugs. Okay, uh, next creature I wanted to discuss is the Gaping Passage, which is pretty much what it says it is. Um, It is a giant mouth, Mm. um, and if you crawl into the mouth, beyond its teeth and lips, there's a portal to somewhere else. Uh, Sort of like, is it a a lacuna? Yep. Yep. Sort of like a lacuna, except this lacuna is a giant mouth. And it lets people travel to this other place most of the time. Sometimes. Occasionally, it can decide just to eat you. And you crawled into its mouth, so it probably finds it very easy to eat you.
0: Oh, devour! that's fun.
1: Yes. Uh, Example of using this... Uh, creature, uh, maybe the goal, the gaping passage has a means to travel to a location the party needs to get to. Maybe it's even a, a location the party doesn't know how to get there otherwise. It's a mysterious location. So they don't know how to navigate there themselves. They have to go through the gaping passage. So they have to negotiate with the passage and wonder can they even trust it?
0: Uh, so here's a, here's a question for you. Um, so if the gaping mal- or the gaping passage is not trustworthy, but your characters choose to go through it anyway. This thing inflicts three wounds on any being that willingly enters, and whatever whatever beings get killed get absorbed. So three wounds is gonna kill you, but mm-hmm. um you can you can negate one of those with a physicality. Yes. So then what happens?
1: <laughs> um, where are you then? <laughs> you are two wounds down, which would give you a vex. Is that right? Two vexes. Two vexes. And uh you are sitting in its mouth going, I I have resisted I dying. I, I made have a made huge a mistake. terrible, terrible <laughs> mistake. <laughs> I am going to be slowly digested in the you know, this this gaping passage instead of the Sarlacc pit. Uh, yeah. But you might have one more round to do something, and since you have the, uh, uh, the that terrible flail, you know you just destroy it, or you're a weaver and you can do anything you want. Yeah, and buying yeah. yourself one round might be enough. Might be enough. <laughs> but I, I like the role playing opportunity there of negotiating with the creature, but then you have to put yourself entirely at its mercy or pretty much entirely at its mercy. So you have to trust it. And the question then becomes, how could, what could the gaping passage ever say to you that would actually make you trust it? I'm not sure. <laughs> and that's what we, we play to find out. It, rather than going on for seven hours, I think we'll just close with the last of these creatures, uh, that want to spotlight for this particular segment. Uh, are you sure? Uh, yes, I, I'm, I'm, very sure of this okay. <laughs> uh, plus anyone who downloads the podcast will see that is not in fact a seven hour <laughs> file um so i don't know if that joke will even work very well because of information that everyone watching this or listening to this will have but anyway last creature i want to talk about is the glass warden this is a shadowy pane of glass that flows through the air seeking people who feel guilt Again, like it's common with Invisible Sun creatures. It has this strong emotional thematic element, um, and it, is, it propels stories about these emotional components. It's not just a collection of hit points and uh, attack values, but it also has those. The yeah. attack of a glass warden, you might say, is to pull a foe into a pane of its glass, it does this it it, so it seeks people who are feeling guilt it then um, I imagine shows them something in a pane of glass that triggers that guilt and absorbs them into that pain I saw this as a creature that would be very useful once a player has an encounter and does something she or he feels guilty about maybe it's destroying someone with that flail (laughs) Yeah, Uh, It could be any number of things that she or he feels guilty about. And as a result, uh, this glass warden begins to come for them. This lets you kind of role play out. What do they see in that pain that triggers the uh, feeling of guilt? And maybe when they're, they're the only way to really resolve the guilt is to be absorbed into the glass warden. From within that pain, then they will continue to see images related to that guilt and that they have to process the guilt through those images in order to be released from the pain. It might even be that shattering the pain doesn't release them. It just sentences them to uh, oblivion that they have to work their way out of the glass warden.
0: Yeah, um, the the way I would probably introduce this would just be, you know. I guess I would pull this as one of the things that I would use in a session if I had to come up with something
1: mm-hmm.
0: and my intro, oh, this is a good filler session. Well, yeah, not even like a filler session, but sort of like a here's an encounter like you guys are mm-hmm. going somewhere. I'm not sure exactly what we're going to do when we get there, but here's an encounter we're going to do. And the opening that I would use for this would be to ask my players. Uh, who here has a character that feels guilty about something and what is it and see who, you know, latches onto that. Use that as sort of a little, you know, storytelling session. That'll take a couple of minutes, but, you know, give us some insight into what's going on with their character, you know, Mm -hmm. and reveal something that we haven't known before.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of potential here for that, for that sort of character development. If, if you want a visual reference, uh a relatively obscure visual um, superman 2 i was thinking even more obscure <laughs> uh the uh young sherlock holmes oh oh the night yes there's a stained glass night in one scene that they spend are you way too
0: are you talking on. about the first use of cgi in a movie
1: was that the first use? I know it was very early in it. It was, it was
0: early. I'm not sure if it was the first, but it uh, was one of the earliest. It, it might have been like the first animated, like CGI animated character in a movie.
1: So, it's something like that. And I, I remember re- reading about and hearing about how how expensive it was at the time and all of this, you know, ground. I knew it was groundbreaking, and I don't know if it was first necessarily, but it's very early. Uh, and uh, it's it's interesting. I think that the the, the night is a little too anthropomorphic for what a glass warden might look like in invisible sun, but it gives you a sense of movement and how to represent a creature that is composed of ill fitted panes of glass. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it might be a fun visual reference, even if you don't go with a night shape necessarily, just that, that that texture I think would be useful. Yeah. Plus young Charlie Holmes* was a fun movie.
0: Yeah, it's been a while. I
1: haven't seen it for, what, like 40 years? I'm not sure it's been quite that long, but it, it's a, a solid 30. <laughs> uh, so that gives you, like I said, avoiding our seven-hour segment. Um, we are coming into our traditional length. That gives you a sense of, of the variety of creatures that are described in, the, in under the invisible sun, which is to say across all of the actuality. Uh, they range from creatures that travel between suns, like the capriol, to some that are simply available anywhere, like the cornerwise. Uh, some that have connections that are kind of connections to magic, uh, that and, and sort of the omnipresence of magic, like the uh, uh, the glass warden, maybe. Uh, but it's sort of a, it's not quite a miscellaneous category, but it's really close to a miscellaneous category. Uh, but many creatures with with potential opportunities to develop into encounters uh, or to have entire sessions sort of centering around this individual in, uh, uh, creature uh, any reactions to the invisible Sun creature section?
0: Uh, no just you know reiterating what you said there's a there's a whole slew of, of a veritable menagerie of creatures under the invisible Sun. <laughs>
1: Yes, uh, this gets us very close to the end of Teratology. Um, not quite sure what we're going to do. We, we we may discuss the dark in a different place or a different format. Um, but that's all that we have left within Teratology. Oh, I should also add, as usual, the Invisible Sun section has cre- has greater entities for the Invisible Sun. But these greater entities, like the creatures, are, are entities that cross over different suns. That are travelers across suns and things like that. That might be a good fit if you ha- if you need a traveler um, or very powerful entity that would that would transcend an individual sun. The greater entity section of the Invisible Sun uh, chapter of the Tertology would be a good place to look.
0: Oh, sounds
1: good. Oh. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from Drive RPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can find me at at Eganseer, that's at A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R on Twitter.
0: And you can find me at Tex underscore Red on Twitter. So please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes uh, or whichever uh, podcast app you are using. Uh, it really helps us out. Uh, we also like seeing ratings and reviews, whether they're good or bad. Uh, or else just tell a friend about the show. That's another great way to get the word out and ha- help people find us.